episode 182, The Roadmap to Employer Innovation. Today, I speak with Renya Spack, who is a partner at Mercer in their healthcare business and leads the Center for Health Innovation. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. As a broad stroke, employers in every geography in the United States are rewriting the rules of healthcare. They are expanding their influence to be commensurate with their purchasing power. And by the way, their purchasing power is enormous when taken in the aggregate. Everyone in the healthcare industry it would seem, would be well served to know the what and how behind how employers are rewriting healthcare today. Renya Spack is on the show today. She leads the Health Innovation Center over at Mercer. And Mercer, if you did know, is arguably the world leader in the health and benefits marketplace. This is 30 minutes you don't want to miss. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Renya. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. So let's talk about employers these days who definitely are seeking true change in employee benefits, the cost, quality, and outcomes of the health benefits that their employees are receiving. To this end, you have said that there are some new rules of Health 2.0. Yeah, great place to start. So employers uh, in the U.S. today spend over a trillion dollars in healthcare every year and are responsible for nearly two-thirds of all non-Medicare-eligible Americans play a tremendous role in the healthcare ecosystem. And yet, you know, we'd say that their influence around the healthcare market and ecosystem is really not commensurate with that purchasing power. So much of the uh, healthcare 2.0 efforts and innovation uh, that's being driven by employers is really to reshape employers' role and better align them with the kinds of changes that are happening in the industry and better position them to take advantage of their purchasing power to drive the kinds of changes they seek around the healthcare system. So, for example, employers are playing a a critical role in terms of pushing and influencing the direction of the healthcare payment reform transformation underway. They play a a really key role in driving and steering to quality healthcare. They are the, the wind in the sails of all of the new startups in digital and tech health innovation. And they're the ones that bring to life the opportunity to personalize the patient experience around healthcare since they're responsible for providing coverage and benefits, again, for nearly two-thirds of, of all Americans. So those are the four areas where we see tremendous opportunity and innovation being driven by the employer marketplace. Pushing payment reform, i.e. value-based payments, driving and steering quality health care. I love how you said that, the wind in the sails of digital health. And what was the last one? Personalizing the experience, ensuring that each employee and, and therefore each patient is, is really getting a personalized, more personalized healthcare experience end-to-end 
starting with their benefits and what's offered to them, and really how that evolves from seeking care to experiencing care to paying for care and, and everything in between. So not to get off on a sidebar, but one of the things that you said struck me that the influence of employers is not commensurate with their purchasing power. Why did that happen that way? Like you'd think that an employer who is responsible for X hundred thousand or more lives could just say, look, you know, I'm buying this. Do it my way. Uh, uh, I laugh in reaction because that is so true. It it really should be that way. I think the system, this complex ecosystem of healthcare that has evolved over time has been built with so many other very influential and powerful stakeholders. So if we think about all of those other stakeholders, whether that be the providers or the health plans or government, drug companies, new entrants, each of those stakeholder groups have played uh, incredibly influential roles in the ever-increasing complexity of the system. And employers have been in a position where they've sort of had to just take what's been offered and not be able to sort of wield their either individual power or collective purchasing power in particularly influential ways. That's because, you know, we believe this is healthcare does not operate like a free rational market. All of those traditional economic paradigms around supply and demand are, are really in conflict in healthcare where cost and quality are inversely related often, where there's no transparency between true cost and actual cost, where, you know, sort of the, the supply side and the demand side have such unequal access to information and where it's a topic that is so driven by the emotional needs. And so this market cannot and has not operated in rational ways. And I think the unintended consequences of that is that employers, in spite of their both individual and collective purchasing powers, really haven't been able to have the kind of influence that aligns with that. It sounds like some innovation is in order. And luckily, you are the leader <laughs> of the Center for Innovation over at Mercer. And, you know, sometimes innovation is synonymous or at least is indicative of some sort of continuum of disruption. If you're thinking about employers getting in there and shaking things up, are there factors that you need to be thinking about before engaging in disruption or disrupting anything? Absolutely. So I would just start off by saying, in spite of the influence in the market uh, that is not equal to employers' purchasing power, in spite of that, I think employers really have led the way around health innovation. You know, for example, it was it was Bell South, now AT and T, that created the first largest privately negotiated hospital PPO many years ago. Five years after that, it was Allied Signal, now Honeywell, that implemented the first point of service plan. And it's employers who have really influenced uh, the direction and the roadmap of health innovations, both from traditional players in the space, as well as those new tech and digital startups that are changing the game. But that doesn't mean it's been easy. Um, and that doesn't mean that there have haven't been setbacks and many examples of two steps forward and one step back. As we look at this next generation of employer-driven health transformation and where employers have put their energy and effort and where that's heading, I'd say some of the foundational things that need to be in place. One, uh, as an employer wants to step up to the plate and, and take on disruption and embrace disruption and try new innovations, 
what we have found is that it's so critical that 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 organization has true support across their internal stakeholders for the kind of innovation and ideas that that they want to champion. Innovation and disruption has an underbelly, which means sometimes breaking operational pipes, which means sometimes disrupting long-standing multi-decade relationships with various stakeholders in the healthcare ecosystem, which means sometimes changing the rules uh, that govern the employer and employee relationship around employee benefits. And so, really generating stakeholder support and alignment, uh, both looking up the, the chain across and with employees is, is a critical first step so that there are no surprises and really all stakeholders understand what's the upside and, and what, what, what are the impacts of embracing disruption and innovation to, to get to a better place. So I think that's one dimension. The other dimension that we find to be so central to successful employer-driven transformation is having discipline around the process. And sometimes discipline and innovation don't show up in the same sentence because it's hard to embrace new ideas, new solutions, new approaches. It means that it may not be well-tested or road-tested in advance. And so sometimes corners have been cut and things are happening in real time or being built in real time. We think that having a, a strong process in place along the way is critical to success and is critical to managing expectations and managing risk through the implementation and ideation process. It's interesting that you mentioned the discipline of or the process, because I, I do feel like that is something that is often neglected. You know, like somebody's got this idea for disruption, for example, or they want to accomplish something, you know, they have this German of an, of an idea. And then it's kind of like this, I'm exaggerating for purposes of clarity, but it's almost like a bum rush forward. They might be thinking of the strategy of what they want to accomplish, not necessarily thinking about the strategy of how it's going to be operationalized. Yeah. I mean, obviously, this is the second thing that you mentioned. So it sounds like you see that frequently. What are the ways in which you would help someone, number one, understand that that is something you have to figure out? But then number two, is there some sort of overarching process to create a process that yeah. model that yep. you use? And great point. So, you know, we, we refer to this as the shiny object syndrome with so much incredible innovation happening. VC venture funded digital and tech startups. The risk is, is trying to chase every shiny new object because there are so many uh, with holding so much promise and positive change in, in the healthcare industry. And so one of the things we advise to, to our clients, employers is, is, is really avoiding the, the shiny object syndrome um, and anchoring, first and foremost, their strategy around innovation to, number one, their top cost drivers. The first thing is knowing that and having the discipline to sticking to that cost driver. Is it diabetes? Is it musculoskeletal? Is it, you know, something related to specialty pharmacy, for example? So really knowing those cost drivers and anchoring their strategy to that. And then using that to really drive the process forward around how do we want to innovate? What is our portfolio of innovations that will attack and address those cost drivers? How do we have a balanced portfolio of some startups that may be fresh and, and not road tested combined with 
um, some well-proven, well-oiled interventions and strategies and solutions that have been tested and bring that guarantee of savings and direct impact. So it's it's that sort of portfolio strategic roadmap development of, of balance across the areas that comes next. And then the third area uh, in terms of discipline for developing that strategy that, that we advise to our clients is, you know, going real deep on the startups and the innovators who are changing the games in those areas and ensuring that those partners not only are ready for prime time, ready to be operationalized, but that they have the proper both support teams in place, that they have the right data privacy protection mechanisms in place, that they understand the employer ecosystem more broadly, and that they have the capabilities to integrate into the broader healthcare benefit system in which they will be implemented. And so it's it certainly is a multi-pronged process with the notion of discipline woven throughout each phase to ensure none of us, either <laughs> either us as consultants or our clients as, as the sponsors of healthcare, fall victim to shiny object syndrome. Yeah. And I think another thing you can fall victim very easily to is kind of maybe groupthink or yeah. the loudest voices in the room somehow or another, all activity being clustered around something which may actually not be the most important thing. And it's just, it's amazing how easy it is for that to happen. So true. But there's actually a, another angle to that point as well. The, the notion of groupthink, the notion of sort of following the, the momentum right or wrong. One of the things that we've observed in this you know health innovation space is actually the importance of uh, group sharing. So not exactly groupthink, but what we found and what we're hearing so clearly from our uh, forward-leaning employer clients is their value and importance that they place on working with their peers, other employers to understand their experiences, uh, to learn from those experiences, to contribute to a collective wisdom on health innovation, since uh, they all realize no, no one has the time, resources, or energy to reinvent the wheel in these areas. And also the, the importance and the value of momentum that any startup and health innovator uh, has in the market. And that momentum is important because that to the earlier comment about wind in the sails, right? We have many forward-leaning clients who have picked a startup vendor to work with only 12, 18 months later for that organization to no longer be financially viable and, and actually to fold. And so there's there's value in understanding where there's market momentum, which startup has the staying power and when their, their, their star is rising, because getting in early is not only important, but, but also uh, ensures uh, you know, the potential for long-term partnership. You might even say that group sharing is the anecdote to group think where, you know, yeah. people kind of stay in their silo and put their heads down and just barrel forward without necessarily soliciting the steadying force, maybe, of yeah. a larger knowledge base. And to some extent, what you just said also might help achieve, you know, if you do the three things that you mentioned, i.e. anchoring the strategy to the top cost drivers, using that to drive a strategic plan, you know, having a strategic plan, and then also having enough information about partners that you might get in bed with, that could actually help achieve the support 
across the organization, especially amongst leadership. You know, it's a pretty good story if you go into leadership and say, hi, I'm going to address our major cost drivers. And I've mitigated the risks of doing so in an innovative way. Uh, yes, I think your point is is really an important one. Which probably, and, you know, to the, the last point about making sure that there is an understanding across you know, both deep and wide about what's going on in the marketplace and and who knows how to do what. That is probably why, and, and you can tell I'm quick like this, Renya, why Mercer has developed the innovation lab <laughs> that you have. <laughs> That's exactly right. Within the Center for Health Innovation, our labs team is a group focused exclusively on the digital and tech startup community, maintaining a database of nearly 600 startups in the health space, applying a methodology, a rigorous methodology around understanding each dimension of their offering, their their model, their, their financing, their team, their impact, their results. What's been so interesting to us over the last, let's call it 12 months, which has really informed where we're heading in response to our client requests, is to be able to add in, I'm doing air quotes now, if you could see me, but uh, crowdsourced insight on each of those startups. So our clients, employers of varying size, want to be able to share their results with startup ABC. They want to have that documented somewhere and they want to be able to access a database where they can see the results, the impact, the experiences from their peers also documented and explained from other startups that they may be considering. And so there's just this newfound momentum and interest and and energy on this co-innovation concept uh, of employers really working together, banding together in ways formally and informally to advance the pace of adoption of health innovation across the sector, really tying back to that idea of helping empower and enable employers' goal to to be drivers of the health transformations underway. And I think I've I've heard that validated in a completely different way. You know, talking to startups, I've heard more than once lately someone saying, you know, we used to target health systems, but oh, the buying cycle is just endless and there's 20,000 decision makers. So, you know what? We're just going to focus on employers now. (laughs) Yeah, no. uh, Well, I'm I'm chuckling only because I hate to be the uh, the bearer of bad news, but the employer buying cycle has not been historically (laughs) quick either. (laughs) Um, uh, But certainly employers are like health systems are, you know, really important B2B to C strategy and one to many opportunity. And and I think employers are so activated on this concept right now. And so it certainly uh, makes sense to to sort of bifurcate that that selling strategy, both to health systems and to employers concurrently. Speaking of attempting to not bifurcate, but bring them both together, healthcare happens, generally speaking, in a health system. Assuming that employers aren't thinking about, well, they do have their, you know, on-site clinics. So that aside, I I don't think any employer is necessarily thinking that they're going to like set up an office and have their hospital (laughs) services run out of there. So, you know, we, we have a scenario today where, you know, if you have a chronic or acute issue, you're going to go to a provider organization to be treated for said condition. That being said, 
if an employer really wants to impact the care that their employees receive, then obviously they have to figure out how to impact the providers that are providing that care. How do you see that happening? I mean, do you see an employer saying, calling a provider in and saying, look, you know, and I'm talking about one which is geographically centered, but, you know, we've got, you know, 20% or 30% of your patients come from my facility. So I have this startup that I'm working with and they have proven themselves able to support excellence in diabetes care. So I need you to use them. I wish we had three hours on, on this topic. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think this is middle of the bullseye in terms of some of the other transformations underway. So I uh, completely agree with you. Um, healthcare, health, healthcare, health management happens in the provider setting. Uh, the reality, though, is for, for most, that is maybe 20 minutes a year, every year, um, obviously, for those who are uh, faced with chronic conditions and and have acute illness, that that number goes up. For actually, for most Americans, their time in the healthcare setting system is is quite small. And so many of the employer led transformations are and innovations are are really being driven around you know how to keep people outside of this out of the system, um, how to maintain health and supplement what has happened from the, the provider setting. But that's changing. There is a change afoot as providers take on more risk and ACOs and other integrated delivery systems really are bearing the risk for population health management for all of the patients who are attributed to their, their system. Their interest and focus on population health management increases substantially. And that is putting an interesting dynamic um, in place and really begging the question for employers as a whole, you know, at some point, do we, instead of being the sponsors and offers of these health management programs ourselves, do we rely upon the health system to deliver these programs in an integrated fashion, integrated with their health care? That being said, where we are now, we actually see a whole continuum of really interesting innovations happening around employer-provider interactions. There's a, a new host of what we're referring to as EACOs popping up, employer-centric ACOs, uh, whether that be a direct contract between an employer and a health system in one geography, or there's a, an intermediary in between, but really setting up a direct relationship uh, with you know risk relationship between employer and system. That's all the way out there on the far side of the spectrum. If we sort of bring that in um, a bit, um, another sort of stop on the spectrum, less transformational, if you will, we refer to as QIC. And QIC is a network where in any given geography, we bring together a bunch of employers. We pick a specific health metric, whether it be C-section rates or something like that, where there's a lot of variability in how care is being delivered in that community. So we get employers around the table and leadership from health systems around the table to have a very open dialogue around those variations in care on that key metric. And it is meant to be collegial. It is not pointing a figure about why are your, for example, C-section rates higher than average or higher than ideal. It's, it's truly about understanding what's driving that variation. But what's that called? The, the Hawthorne effect? I was just going to say that. Magical result, which is just by having an ongoing and specific conversation about the topic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, 
uh, lo and behold, there's real movement in, in the right direction in terms of outcomes on that specific area. What else is going on that you see as a major trend amongst employers and innovation? We talked about the EACOs. We talked about, you know, everybody banding together and just asking questions, which it seems so obvious, but it hasn't happened before. It's one of those things that's only obvious in, uh, in hindsight. But what, what else are employers trending toward? Referring to this as innovation in the pipes, and it's for lack of a better term. Who knew that the sort of the piping, the in healthcare can can be innovative? Let let me explain. I think we're approaching, if not have reached, a real tipping point on employers' interest and activation on network innovation. I think we're at a tipping point where employers are asking questions like, how do we eliminate the bottom 10% of poor performing providers from the network so my employees can simply never go to them? It's never an option to seek care there. Uh, how do we really steer people to the high, the top quartile of providers from a plan design perspective, from an incentive perspective, or even from a narrowing of the network perspective? So a lot of that core fundamental steerage, um, I think, is reaching a, a new level of uh, interest, energy, and, and action from employers, really large and small. So that's one area of hot topic innovation. Another, also sort of in the piping, how healthcare works, is on this notion of reducing, ideally eliminating fraud, waste, and abuse in the system. We've all read the statistics and seen them published, and there's a range out there from, from the research, some going as high as suggesting that 30% of healthcare is, is wasteful care. You know, if you unpack that a little bit, the, the, the numbers may not be so high, but nonetheless, we know there is a lot of waste. There's a lot of fraud, sometimes unintentional, but billing mistakes, double billing. We see interest right now from employers looking to new technology new analytics that, that sort of can run across all the claims that, that, that they have across their entire population, millions of lines of, of, of claims to identify those areas of fraud, waste, and abuse, and go after them, really attack them uh, systemically. Um, and so I'd say that's a, another hot area. Two others that bubble to the top, of course, are specialty pharmacy, trying to stem the tide of, of that cost exposure. And then finally, and certainly very near and dear to my heart uh, in terms of being so ripe for innovation is this, this notion of innovation around behavioral health, uh, the behavioral health system, behavioral health programming. How do we uh, address this uh, in a very different way than we have historically, specific to the opioid crisis, but of course, far more broad than that uh, along the entire continuum of care for behavioral health? What is the process by which an employer would explore their various options in these categories? So let's just take behavioral health as an example. So I'm an employer. Do I call you up and say, I would like to take a look into your innovation lab database and see all of the different partners and then I interview them all? Like, how do I proceed? There are a number of different options, uh, and certainly what you mentioned could be one of them, but I'd say that's, that's often 
the least likely path, um, although certainly available. And I'm going to harken back to our, our conversation earlier around sort of that discipline process, an employer appreciating the continuum of needs around the behavioral health spectrum often works with us to first really do a deep dive analysis on the data. What are the root drivers of their issues? Is it about access to care? Is it about opioid misuse? Is it about people not feeling comfortable even using behavioral health services out of concern that somehow their their employer might know? Uh, is it a financial issue? And then what area along that continuum is is really the issue? Is it for resilience and mindfulness and just being able to sort of day to day, you know, sort of thrive and be your best? Or is it really about some of those other ends of the spectrum needs on, um, you know, very acute, very severe mental health issues that are debilitating or, or disruptive and, and everything in between? So it's about setting, understanding the data, setting the strategy to the point of not falling victim to the, the shiny object syndrome, even within a specific area. It's setting that strategy. It could be evaluating then who are the startups in the space. But our opinion is that there is simply selecting the right startup vendor to, to add to your strategy, add to your program is never enough. It's never just about a program, right? It's never just about a solution. It is developing all of the pieces that wrap around that. How does plan design support that? How does culture and policy and procedure from an HR perspective enable that? How does training for managers make that possible? And how are we measuring the results, leading indicators, lagging indicators that what we're doing, what this new solution sets out to do is, is successful? So it's, it's really that integrated strategy that is so key. Now, if the employer wants to just deep dive on the, you know, the vendors in the space, certainly we're, we're at the ready, but we would submit that that's not the way to drive optimal outcomes. We've talked about a, a lot of innovative strategy and startups and, and what's going on currently. But if we zoom out into the larger context, what are the roadmaps, do you think, between now and 2020? I'm always amazed by how soon 2020 will be upon us. Um, we're really focused on three key areas to, to get ready for 2020 uh, and that roadmap, that road to 2020. One is helping our clients prepare themselves, continue to prepare themselves for the changing macro environment, which we have referred to as the big getting bigger. Look, you know, there is so much vertical integration happening um, across traditional players in the healthcare space, health plans and PBMs coming together, uh, health plans buying physician groups, other forms of vertical integration. It's really changing the landscape in, in such material ways. Um, so what does that mean for an employer? Making sure that they are ready uh, for these kinds of changes, which we anticipate to continue. The second area that we're putting great focus on, which ties so closely to our conversation today, but it's the, the, the small getting smarter, right? So this landscape of the hundreds and, and thousands of digital and tech startups who are reshaping the, the landscape uh, in their own way around health innovation, um, they're, they're really on to sort of version 2.0. Serial entrepreneurs who've gotten smart from their version 1.0 and brought their team with them to, to their next endeavor, really creating momentum and scale for their uh, disruptive, positive disruptive innovations. And how do employers get ready to be able to more 
quickly integrate them into their model? How do we shorten that buying and sales cycle from potentially two years to two months? And how can employers quickly move in and move out if something's not working? How do they turn it off and turn on uh, something new more, more rapidly? So that's really the, the second mega trend shaping the, the road to 2020. And the third is the new face of high cost. It's the new face of high cost and it's the new pace of high cost driven by specialty pharmacy, genomics, precision medicine, all really positive and really important things, but coming with at a, a price tag that is never before experienced by employers. We have clients today who, you know, five, six million dollar claims per year. That changes the dynamics. Employers who in the past never felt it necessary, it wasn't necessary to buy stop loss insurance, all of a sudden need to rethink that strategy. What do you do when you have claims of that magnitude with a likelihood of occurring year over year, time after time? How do you ready your organization, your budget, your finance colleagues, and mitigate the risks associated with with that financial, unplanned uh, financial exposure. If someone is interested in learning more about what you are up to over there at the Center for Health Innovation at Mercer, where can they go? Many entry points, and I'd be delighted to field questions and, and get everyone to the right place at Mercer. Mercer.com in our U.S. health area, there's uh, ways to contact the Center for Health Innovation and enter the system that way. And certainly any direct relationships that anyone may have with our thousands of uh, health consultants uh, coast to coast is also a, a great path. I thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Renya. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week, the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.